The first reading is from the second book of Samuel, chapter 15. After this, Absalom acquired for himself a chariot, horses, and fifty men to run in front of him. Absalom would get up early and stand beside the road by the gatehouse. Absalom would call out to every man who had a legal issue to bring before the king for judgment, and he would say, What city are you from? The person would say, Your servant is from such and such of the tribes of Israel. Absalom would say to him, Your claims are good and valid, but there is no one from the king to listen to you. Then Absalom would say, I wish someone would make me a judge in the land. Then everyone who has a legal issue or needs a judgment could come to me, and I would give him justice. Whenever someone approached to bow down to him, he would reach out, take hold of his hand, and kiss him. Absalom acted this way to everyone in Israel who came to the king for judgment. In this way, Absalom stole the hearts of the men of Israel. After four years, Absalom said to the king, Please let me go to Hebron and fulfill my vow, which I have made to the Lord. Because when I was in Geshur and Aram, your servant vowed, If the Lord will really return me to Jerusalem, I will serve the Lord. The king said to him, Go in peace. So he set out and went to Hebron. But Absalom sent agents throughout all the tribes of Israel, saying, When you hear the sound of the ram's horn, you are to say, Absalom is king in Hebron. Two hundred men from Jerusalem who had been invited went along with Absalom. They went innocently, since they did not know what was going on. While he was offering sacrifices, Absalom summoned David's advisor, Ahithophel of Gilo, to come from Gilo, his hometown. The conspiracy gained strength as more and more people were going over to Absalom. A messenger came to David and said, The hearts of the men of Israel are following Absalom. So David said to all his servants who were with him at Jerusalem, Get ready. We must flee, or we will not escape from Absalom. Hurry up and go, so that he does not come quickly and overtake us, bringing down disaster on us, and strike the city with the edge of the sword. Our second reading is from the Holy Gospel according to St. Luke, the 10th chapter. Just then, an expert of the law stood up to test Jesus, saying, Teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law? He asked him. What do you read there? He replied, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. He said to him, You have answered correctly. Do this, and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself. So he asked Jesus, And who is my neighbor? Jesus replied, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. He fell among robbers who stripped him, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. It just so happened that a priest was going down that way. And when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. In the same way, a Levite also happened to go there. But when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. A Samaritan, as he traveled, came to where the man was. When he saw him, he felt sorry for the man. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring oil and wine on them. He put him on his own animal, took him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day, when he left, he took out two denarii, gave them to the innkeeper, and said, Take care of him. 
Whatever extra you spend, I will repay you when I return. Which of these three do you think acted like a neighbor to the man who fell among robbers? The one who showed mercy to him, he replied. Then Jesus told him, Go and do likewise. Grace, mercy, and peace be to you from God, our Father, and our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. This evening, as we continue our journey through the Ten Commandments in our Lenten Catechesis, we enter into the second table of the law. That is, those commands which have to do with our relationship towards one another, to our neighbor, those that are summarized as our Lord by, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Now, it is important to note, first of all, that just because these commands concern themselves with the love of our neighbor does not mean that God is not involved. On the contrary, as we see in the meaning of the small catechism, all of the commands of the second table are rooted first and foremost in our fear and love of God. Fear and love which we can only have because we have faith in him. The fourth commandment is the first command of the second table. And it's also the only commandment of the second table that has a positive command. That is not a you shall not, but a do. And it is honor your father and your mother. The small catechism, which is a faithful exposition of the scriptures, summarizes the meaning as follows. We should fear and love God so that we do not despise or anger our parents and other authorities, but honor them, serve and obey them, love and cherish them. This commandment is set against our sinful flesh in a way that causes it to chafe and groan, especially in our day, but so too throughout history. Despite natural law being clear enough that all cultures have at least the outer meaning of this commandment. But our culture and our day is indeed a rebellious one, one that desires not to honor parents nor those who bear authority, which is based in that of the household. For honoring is not only loving, but it's also showing modesty and humility towards them, addressing them kindly, thinking well of them, and recognizing that God has placed them in their special office. That is why the meaning of the commandment speaks of honoring, serving, obeying, loving, and cherishing. And notice how this command is not limited only to parents, to mothers and fathers, but to all who have a parental authority and offices which flow from it. And so it extends for children to teachers who act in loco parentis, that is, in the place of parents, but it also extends for all people to governing authorities, recognizing that all authority ultimately comes from God and that he is given authority to rule and govern to those who hold it, to the queen, the governor general, the prime minister, the parliament, and all the way on down, etc. The same extends also to spiritual fathers who feed and nourish you with the word of God and teach according to it so that you may grow in the faith. Thus we can see how much our society does not like this commandment, not only in accepting that children will not not only in accepting that children will not be obedient, but instead rebel, 
but also seeing this rebelliousness as a virtue. And we also see it in partisan anger and attacks, ill will, and despising of those who hold God's authority in the left-hand realm, that is, in the world. Scott Moe and Justin Trudeau are to be equally honored by us, whether we agree with them or not. Spreading lies or hate about either is equally sinful. We are to honor them, serve and obey them, love and cherish them. In our highly partisan age, that seems a very heavy burden indeed. Now, the service and obedience does have a limit. We should not obey them if they command us to sin, and thus go against our Heavenly Father, from whom they derive their own authority. In that case, as the apostles, we are to obey God rather than man, while still showing honor to those authorities and parents. Our Lord Jesus, in his life on earth, demonstrated the complete fulfillment of this command, which we, by reason of the weakness of our flesh, often break and must oft repent of. And by faith, his keeping of this command and his righteousness is made ours. So let us, by the power of the Holy Spirit within us, strive to keep it. For he obeyed his parents, not only his dear mother who bore him, but also his adoptive father. He submitted to the earthly authorities' treatment of himself, to their trying him and putting him to death, saying to Pilate, you would have no authority over me unless it had been given you from above. Finally, we see through his whole life that he honored his Father in heaven, being obedient to the whole law and giving his life as atonement for the sins of the world, so that those who trust in him are forgiven and justified for his sake. The fifth commandment, then, is, You shall not murder which means we should fear and love God that we do not hurt or harm our neighbor in his body, but help and support him in every physical need. We see how much broader this is than merely shedding the blood of another. Our Lord confirms this in his Sermon on the Mount, saying, You have heard it said to those of old, You shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. And whoever says you fool will be liable to the fires of hell. How far-reaching this is, and every commandment, for it not only touches the outward actions, but also the deepest motions of the heart. Thus hurting and harming our neighbor in his body and harboring hatred for him in our hearts is against the commandment. As is any sort of counseling or encouraging others to do evil towards our neighbor. But lest we think this is all there is, know how far-reaching the law of God is. Even refusing to help or aid another, or refusing to speak up when one may suffer evil and we could prevent it, harms our neighbor and breaks the commandment. God does not will that we ignore our neighbor's need, like the priest or the Levite in our Lord's parable, but rather that we help him, like the Samaritan. Thus, this commandment is broken both in action and inaction, as we confess by both what we have done and what we have left undone. As our Lord demonstrated in our second reading, 
To fulfill this command and love our neighbor in this way includes helping and supporting him in every physical need. In this way, we serve our Lord through our service to our neighbor, and likewise, the Lord serves them through our work that by us as instruments, he feeds, clothes, and shelters our neighbor as we give them food, clothing, and housing. And we should not only do this because he commands it, but because of his great love for us and his care for us. For he himself became our neighbor by taking on flesh. He saw us in our need, not halfway dead on the road, but even fully dead in our sins. And he gave his own life to save us. As, he, as his rescued people, raised from death to life by being incorporated into his death and resurrection through baptism, let us follow after him and love our neighbor because God has loved us first in such a way as to save us. And so we have a short summary of these commands. And already you might see how our first lesson from 2 Samuel connects to both of these commandments, both in their breaking and in their keeping. First, a little context is helpful for us. This event happens following David and his son Absalom's reconciliation, because Absalom was in exile in Geshur in Aram after he killed his half-brother a year after he raped his full sister. This is the this referred to in our text. It carries a lot of the weight. See how Absalom breaks the fourth and fifth commandment. When he returns from exile and is reconciled to his father, Absalom gathers a princely retinue and goes to stand beside the road in the gatehouse. Having such a retinue is not sinful in and of himself. He was a prince and entitled to such uh, those around him who would protect him. This retinue of horses and attendants would signal him out as a prince. And so at the gate of the palace, he stood seeking those who were going to the king to his court for justice, to have a case judged and wrongs righted. Whenever someone with a legal issue came, he would talk with him and flatter him, saying, Your claims are good and valid, but there's no one from the king to listen to you. In doing this, he dishonored his father, the king, by lying to those who came to David and maligning David and David's judges' characters, implying that they would not listen to them, that they did not care about justice in the kingdom, and that they did not care about the people. He would often say also, I wish that someone would make me a judge in the land. Then everyone who has a legal issue or needs a judgment could come to me and I would give him justice. That someone that could make him a judge was only his father. And so he publicly complained and spoke ill of his father and attempted to get the people to dislike and distrust his father David. After four years of this, Absalom continued to dishonor his father by lying to him about his purpose of going to Hebron, the place of his birth and also David's first capital. In lying to him, Absalom also breaks the second commandment by taking the Lord's name in vain, by using it to cover for evil and hiding his plans. See how quickly evil is added to evil and sin to sin. For he says, please let me go to Hebron and fulfill my vow 
which I have made to the Lord when I was at Geshur in Aram, your servant vowed, if the Lord will really return me to Jerusalem, I will serve the Lord, that is, offer sacrifice. The king said to him, go in peace. And so he went out and set for Hebron. But there is yet more. For while David was Absalom's father, he was also his king and the king of all Israel. And so in doing this, he meant to steal the hearts of the men of Israel, that is, to turn them against their king, to turn them into rebels. Absalom did not desire to be made a judge in order that there would be justice in the land. Instead, he merely complained that he wasn't a judge in order that the people would despise their king and seek another. He did not treat all those that approached him to pay respect by bowing as intimate friends because he loved them, but in order to turn them against their king. Through all of this, Absalom sowed rebellion amongst the people by his actions. Thus he was breaking both the fourth and the fifth commandments by his own rebellion, by encouraging others to join him, encouraging them to harbor evil thoughts towards David, who is their neighbor and king, and to incline their hearts towards evil acts towards him. When David heard of this conspiracy to rebellion, he said to all his servants who were with him in Jerusalem, get ready, we must flee or we will not escape from Absalom. Hurry up and go that he does not come quickly and overtake us. Bring down disaster on us and strike the city with the edge of the sword. As King David bore the sword to punish the wicked and evildoers, even to the point of death. This was a godly ordained authority which he had. He could have rightly attempted to resist and fight at that moment and strike down Absalom and his rebellion. But David did not choose this time to do it. He was concerned both for his loyal servants and for the city. He would rather see Absalom controlling Jerusalem and the people living rather than risk their deaths if Absalom needed to besiege the city and then after taking it in anger, kill those inside of it. David fled to protect the lives of those with him that they might be safe. And although enemies, even, putting, even in putting down the rebellion, David looked to reconcile with his son, saying before the battles, watch out for the young man Absalom for me. He did not want him killed, but he wanted him to remain alive that he could reconcile with him, despite all that he had done to him. Brothers and sisters, even as we avoid the example of Absalom and follow that of David in our reading, we should also have this attitude towards our enemies in accordance with the fifth commandment. We should seek their repentance and reconciliation with us. For our Lord Jesus, the son of David, sought us when we were yet his enemies and died for us so that rather than dying in our sins, we would have peace with God, be reconciled to him through the blood of his Son, Jesus, and have justification through faith in him, that we might live forevermore with him in his kingdom when he comes again. Thanks be to God. Amen. And now may the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, guard and keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. Amen.